After 20 plus years of clinical practice and business coaching, after thousands of hours spent on doctoral research and interviews, Dr. Elizabeth Joy has concluded there are massive misconceptions about the world's elite. It's time to disrupt the archaic thinking surrounding professionalism and success, providing leaders with safe space to unpack the wins and woes. Now, let's join Dr. Joy for Disruptive Discourse. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Disruptive Discourse. Today we are interviewing Edward Sean Starks, who I had the pleasure of coaching and why this personality is one you must meet is that, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, uh, I think it's called Flight with Denzel Washington, where this dude is struggling with drug uh, abuse, right? But he lands his plane upside down and the whole movie is like, yo, don't worry about whether I was potentially high. I did some stuff no other pilot can do, right? And so it literally, and perhaps it's because I'm a clinician, it told the story and showed in real life what addiction really looks like in the most highly functioning version of addiction. And that is is our guest today. And I look forward to seeing what he'll share with you. Um, but, you know, he was in the midst of high, high levels of success while being in full-blown addiction where he was drinking and getting several DUIs, had the opportunity to coach him and help him to even see that that was an issue that he needed to take serious. And we had a chance to work together uh, to really help get him out of that valley and into a much better version of himself. So I haven't seen him in a while. I'm super looking forward to both connecting and seeing how he's doing, but also for you all to hear his story and uh, hopefully be inspired, maybe take some notes on exactly what it looks like to go from hot mess, quite frankly, but successful to much more peaceful and much more happy. So let's get into it and see what Sean has to share. Let's just kick it off by you sharing when I when I mentioned the idea of disrupting the the archaic definitions of professionalism and success. What comes to mind for you? Um, honestly, being a, a, a difference maker, um, being innovative. Um, from from my vantage point, I think. Um, when you think about being disruptive in at least in, in business, um, and I'm, I'm going to kind of align it with my business and, and just take it from that approach. I'm always thinking outside the box. I'm always looking for um, innovative ways to bring a service or product to market um, while also just thinking outside the box in terms of reading different uh, books just coming up to speed on a lot of different different areas uh, within my industry to to try to bob and weave through all of the competition that's out here. Yes, and that's a great start because what we also focus on and guests that we invite are folks who are focused on both professional and personal development. And of all the people that I've ever met in life, you are someone who stays in the gym, quote unquote, both in physical, right? And in how you develop yourself in and out. So I want to ask you from the personal side, personal development side, what do you think about when you think about disrupting the archaic definitions of professionalism and success? Um, personally, I, you know, obviously I read a lot, um, I'm a, an audio book junkie now, so don't have the oh, time. Oh, you done upgraded? I, uh, <laughs> I've upgraded. I've upgraded. Um, but honestly, I, I think part of it is is it's mind, body, soul. You know, spirituality. Um, from, from a personal perspective, I'm out at the park. Out at uh, I walk, you know, 33 Route 33. There's a river, um, Griggs Reservoir, and I walk that pretty much daily for about an hour and a half to two hours. Um, but that's usually in the morning or in the late afternoon, right before it gets dusk. But I do that to clear my head. And I'm also just, it's personal development for me. It allows me to stay mentally sharp. 
Um, outside of that, I do work out a lot, as you mentioned. Um, I'll probably work out three or four times a week in the gym itself, uh, along with that walking exercise. Mm-hmm. And so tell me, because since I've known you, you've been very committed to personal and professional development. Tell me about your journey to to getting there. I, I, I don't know if it started in your younger years, and if so, whenever it started, what, what got you so focused in this commitment to ongoing development? Because you might assume, I feel like, based on conversations we've had, you, you may perhaps even take for granted because this is something that you've really lived out for a long time, but there's a lot who are not necessarily focused on personal and professional development. So I'm just curious as to how you got into that way of life and why you're so committed to it. Okay. Yeah. Um, honestly, when I was younger, I, um, you know, I played sports, you know, that was like my outlet. I put a lot of time and energy into the physical aspects of, of my life, working out, running. Um, but as I, as I got older, I started to really understand, you know, there was a mental component um, that I needed to sharpen up on. And really the drive, the driver of, of getting ahead, I blew my knee out my junior in high school. Mm-hmm. Was, yeah, my junior year in high school blew my knee out. Um, and for me, I was trying to go to the NFL, and I just knew I was going to the NFL. That was just, that was that was the story. That was the dream. And when mm-hmm. I blew my knee out, um, the more you know, the immort- the, the the mortality of that kicked in for me. Mm-hmm. It, it let me see that you know I needed to really tap into my brain a little bit more. I was a smart smart kid when I was growing up, but I didn't apply myself because I again I was trying to go to the NFL. I had no idea that I was going to get hurt. That'll make me think different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result of that, I started reading more. Uh, my grandparents always had us reading magazines just to, so that we can read. You know, they knew that we wouldn't read regular books, so they would throw Jet Magazine at us, Essence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I didn't realize is it was, it was actually planting seeds and allowing them to cultivate something inside of me that I didn't know was being developed. Um, and as I grew, you know, expanding on different subjects, I just started liking it, and so uh, I believe when I when I went to Kent State, played football at Kent State for two years. My freshman year, I remember um, really taking a step back and, and looking at where I wanted to go in life. And I remember reading. I told myself, I'm just going to read every book on on the first floor. Mm. I sat down in the summer and, and read the first floor. It was a science. It was like chemistry or some kind of the science. The first floor of the library? Of the library. And, and so okay, that's like school. a lot of books, just so we're clear. <laughs> of of the, uh, the chemistry area, not the whole library. The first floor okay. The yeah, it was a science section. But I knew that that was an area that I really didn't know a lot about, and I was just interested. So wait a minute. You chose to read all the books in the area that's not your sweet spot because... I you never talk, heard you talk about chemistry. So you decided, I'm going to read all the books in this area that I don't know nothing about. Yep. Okay. And I started learning more about science, honestly. But what it, what it did for me was it allowed me to expand my mind. And the thirst for knowledge just kicked in because the science started, the stuff started making sense to me. Mm-hmm. And once it starts making sense to me, um, whether I was going to use that information or not, you know, it, it really, it kind of, what my grandparents cultivated in me, it brought it full circle. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now I know how to read books, the, you know, and interpret it the right way. So it's kind of where the drive came from. So I'm just curious, what, what made you select chemistry, an area you didn't have interest in, rather than the other areas? I was always, um, what was chemistry? biology, really just sciences, but I've always been interested in um, the human body, mm-hmm. how things work. And so I went down the path of science because, you know, everyone wants to separate, you know, religion and all that good stuff from science. Mm-hmm. So I started there. It's kind of what, that's, you know, the origin of life. Okay. 
Okay. So where from there then? You read all the books, I'm assuming. I didn't get to read all of them. <laughs> I went down the path. I probably got past, you know, halfway through and I was like, all right, this is good enough. I've, I've accomplished what I to accomplish. <laughs> but with it, it, it was just a challenge that I needed, you know, that I, I took on. Mm -hmm. I created it myself. Um, But it was probably more mental health than anything. Mm -hmm. So then where'd you go from there once you gave yourself permission to opt out of the rest of those chemistry books? (laughs) Um, In terms of, you know, are you talking about that experience, that personal experience or just in terms of this? Yeah, just in this on this journey of getting to this point where you're so focused as a lifestyle on on ongoing development, because that was the beginning for you. So what was next? Um, I would say, you know, out, outside of that, out, outside of just the undergraduate experience, um, you know, learning how to learning how to, to study, learning how to process information um, and take it and use it. My the, the biggest thing that I wanted to always be is an entrepreneur. I always wanted to own my own business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's always been the catalyst that, that's been a driver of personal development. Anything I could get my hands on around business, marketing, um, sales, any of those things I, I just read, I just took to it. Um, as you know, my, my background, I'm a software engineer by trade. So I was definitely on the um, tech side of things from a, a software development perspective. Um, being a developer, you you just can't read books and, and just pick up on. You actually have to execute. Mm-hmm. And so that's in personal development, you you know, that, that helps you execute because, you, you know, you're going to read books, you're going to read some of the theories, but then you, you have to try to apply them to see what sticks. Mm-hmm. So I'm always, that's the driver. That's always, you know, my will. That's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, and, and you have such an inspirational story. I know we won't be able to cover all of the elements of your journey and, I'm not sure exactly what you're comfortable sharing, but I hope some of it because I, you have such a powerful journey. So you you early on were engaging in this self-development and, and that's something that, you know, really was present from the beginning when you think about your young adulthood and, and moving forward. And, you know, as I know you, you're a very successful businessman and, you know, have had great success in your career. Um, but you also had this other personal reality that um, you you encountered, I guess. I don't know how you would describe it in your journey with alcohol and how you maneuvered that. I, I had the pleasure of coaching you during this journey. And I recall you being what I would call a very highly functional alcoholic. And, um, again, I think about the movie pilot and I think we talked about this back then of someone who is able to do the most, like do more than most people in their career and in their work, but yet have this other reality very alive and well. So hopefully you're willing to share, um, at least part of that journey with us today. Yeah. Um, you know, I think. A lot of people take happy hours and, and dinners with drinks for granted and, and not realize that there may be some underlying trauma that could trigger, you know, um, that social life to take a turn. And for me, you know, from the, from days of college to graduating, working in corporate America, we've always socialized with alcohol. And um, while I was able to function in the business world, there were some underlying um, traumas that I didn't wasn't aware of that was really kind of like a trigger um, for me to be, to, to drink in excessive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I probably won't go, go too deep into it, but a few, a few years ago, I would say about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, I really had a bad turn um, going through my divorce. And mm-hmm. so that's where it all kind of showed his hand. Um, in terms of, you know, coming to, you know, I guess the, the, the end of me, you know, drinking like that, um, getting several DUIs and I, I will, you know, I'm, I'm okay disclosing that information. 
getting several DUIs while working in corporate America and running a business. Um, it's not a good look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a good look. And so one of the things that, you know, working, working with you had to, had to really tap into what's, what was really driving some of those, those issues, some childhood trauma issues as you were aware of, um, coping mechanisms, and then the habit of just happy hours, social, socially drinking, um, I think a lot of that just it came to a, came to a head. Um, and so part of the personal journey was tapping into those childhood traumas and understanding what's, what was drivers, things that I, I wired myself back when I was a kid that I was still operating on as an adult. Mm-hmm. So I think when, when you look at personal ve- development, I think everyone probably can attest to any story Um of their childhood that where their, their wires were changed as an mm-hmm. adult. And even as an adult, you go through your own adult experiences where you start rewiring again, just to protect yourself. And I think a lot of that we take for granted and don't really process. You know, I, I truly believe everyone should go to therapy, especially when you get a little older. No there's doubt. Some things that, yeah, there's some things that, that you need to work on from a personal perspective that you may not even be aware of. You, you know, I, I hear, guys say all the time i'm not wired that way i used to be that person i'm you know when i hear myself say that now i'm like oh i must have rewired myself <laughs> <laughs> let me undo the wires because we're you know i'm always going back now part of the it's an ongoing journey for me i still go back to the lessons i still go back to some tools i still listen to Eckhart tolle you know i'm still i still do those things I'm laughing because everyone who's been coached by me knows you could kind of know if somebody's been coached by me because they're going to reference Eckhart Tolle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm definitely sitting here um, both honored and and proud to even hear some of the language you're using because I know when we first started working together, you didn't even have any context or or language for this concept of trauma and Mm -hmm. how that relates to your day-to-day realities as an adult and th- this concept of wiring and, and rewiring and doing that work. So um, proud for me as I listen to you live naturally and express naturally these concepts that we work through at that time. So one of the things, if you're willing to share that I think would be helpful for folks to hear is what I felt like was one of your core Uh, components from childhood and mindsets from childhood that really affected the way you were showing up as an adult was your experience as a black man, as a black person, and some of those challenges that come with um, the skin type, skin tone, and, and what oftentimes folks of color deal with as it relates to uh, unfortunately, lower esteem and self-doubt as a result of what the world says about folks who are of a certain complexion. What can you share about that? Um, so I tell you, you know, being in corporate America, you, you definitely get it firsthand. Um, but I believe some of the childhood challenges or traumas that I experienced, um, without going into too much detail, uh, being abandoned, you know, feeling abandoned by my, my mother based on mm-hmm. a childhood experience when I was about six years old, um, when we were living in Dayton, she decided to move to Columbus. Um, but dropping us, dropping me and my sister off with um, our stepfather's parents. And so there was a time uh, during that, that process where me and my sister, over time, we felt pretty, pretty abandoned. And mm-hmm. so every time my mom and my stepfather would come back to visit us, we got colder and colder. Mm-hmm. And so again, the walls now we were developing walls that we didn't know we had, mm-hmm. but it was really protecting our heart, protecting who we were. I think that first visit when they came, we were bawling, you know, like crazy when they left. Mm-hmm. And maybe the second visit, we kind of cried a little bit by the third visit. We were looking at my mom and, and him like, whatever. When they left, we didn't, we, we weren't crying. We weren't responding. We weren't, we didn't mm-hmm. have no emotional um, energy to give to them. And that, that was when my mom realized she was like, that's when I realized I needed to get you guys because mm. y- y'all, y'all cut me off. 
And so mm. how that how that showed up in it as just being a, in being a black man, but also just how it showed up in my life personally is in certain situations, you know, I knew how to protect myself, whether it was in business, um, whether it was in a um, personal life relationship. I knew how to, you know, put that wall up and compartmentalize my activities mm-hmm. while no one knew that I was operating in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as it relates to being African-American uh, working in corporate America, I think that trauma um, or at least that, that experience, it, it probably helped me be a little colder. Yeah. Um, to I would navigate yeah. corporate, you know, corporate America um, to, to see kind of have a, a little, you know, the chip on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. It, it allowed me to, to be, it's kind of funny. You're, it's like, it became a great strength of mine, but it also ultimately became a weakness of mine in, in personal relationships. Right. And so, um, you know, I think that's, that's kind of one experience how it, how it showed up. And then what about, and, and I, I, that's, I appreciate you sharing and being so transparent. I think this is a perfect example too, when I coach people and people hear the word trauma, which I I try not to use that word as much because, and I remember talking to you about this, the word trauma really resonate for you because people often think about trauma through the lens of like something super like crazy, like being assaulted or like something very specific and really quote unquote bad. But this was an example of your mom didn't leave you. She was still there, but just the experience of that distance and kind of going in and out and how that hardened you, I think is an example of a difficult life experience or an impactful life experience, as I like to call it, that I think oftentimes because of that, folks don't have those kinds of things on their radar when they, when they attempt to kind of self-reflect and think about what experiences might be affecting me, if they're even to the point of knowing that that's an ex- exercise they should do. So I feel like this is a perfect example that, you know, versus uh, one of our guests, uh, you know, was was adopted, right? So it's very clear disruption of connection and 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 what we know obviously happens there. Yours is a little less obvious yet you're experiencing many of the same um, symptoms and process or going through some of the same processes that someone who literally had that full disconnection and may call trauma had, right? So combined with that, what can you share about the experience of the process of going through? Because this is another one that the race and, and skin tone, I feel like that kind of combined with the feelings of abandonment you had with, with the names you were called as a kid based on your skin tone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it definitely felt like I had no place, um, you know, being dark skin, especially in the summer, playing outside as a kid, you know, always being around. I mean, I think my, my, my family, my cousins, they were light skin and, that I ran with was light skin. I was probably between me and a couple other brothers, we were the darkest ones. So it definitely, we definitely were the last chosen on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that feeling of abandonment. And I had one experience even as a child, probably middle school, <clears throat> where that kind of showed up um, in terms of that the same structure being kind of uh, around the lighter skinned people at a party. Mm-hmm. and being treated like the out you know the outcast basically and so in that moment i was in the seventh grade i believe i, I made sure that because back then we were breakdancing you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like one of the one of, that was that was you know my era but um i i knew at that moment I was like you know if, if the if the skin color is going to be a certain way then i'm gonna be the best athlete i'm gonna be the best whatever i can be because you know, I won't feel as abandoned and I get more respect. And mm. I noticed that early on as a, as a kid. Um, and so that, honestly, that was, that was a, a driver for a lot of my activity um, from that experience in seventh grade all the way through high school. Mm. And I would argue through now, yes? 
I'm aware serious of it drive. I mean, it, it cultivated, it but it cultivated yeah. how you show up. This high awesome. performing, nonstop, yeah. like that's the same routine you picked up back then. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the best. Yeah. Yep. I can't lose. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah. Failure is not an option, even if I like to fail. <laughs> because I look at failure as like, that's an opportunity to get better at something. So I never feel like I'm failing. No doubt. So it, it definitely is a great example of cultivating. And I think a great example of how difficult life experiences, they have their negative um, impacts, but they also have positive. And you just mentioned that, right? To uh, whether it's the abandonment component you mentioned with your mom and how being able to harden yourself, whereas you did it to survive in those younger years, it became a tool uh, and sometimes maybe not even knowingly, right? Just being able to be um, hardened and less emotional in a corporate world that's hard anyway, but it's surely hard for a person of color and surely hard for a black man to be able to harden oneself and ma manage those emotions that may show up otherwise and prevent you from being able to succeed in such a sharky water kind of territory, yes? Yeah. So that said, think, go ahead. No, I was just, just to that point, I, you know, one of the things that I experienced um, early on in corporate America about that <clears throat> is one, I was always the, the only black in the room. So I always had to be careful about having that, that hard, that wall up in terms of showing strength. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn how to balance that with, all right, I'm going to take the lead on, in this meeting, but I'm going to make sure everybody's okay that it's not the, the angry black man syndrome. Mm. That, that I had to balance that quite a bit early on. Um, now, not so much, but early on, I definitely that was definitely something that was impactful, an impactful experience in corporate America. How, so, can you tell me more about that? How did you how did you know what was the difference between you being strong and being a leader versus being angry black man? And curious how much of that is your perception versus everyone else's. It probably is a little bit of both. Probably my per perception, but there were some experiences where um, debates on a call, disagreements, um, and I'm not going to pretty much I'm not going to back down on certain issues. And so I had to learn not to be as aggressive mm. when I'm debating or putting forth, you know, my opinion. I had to learn how to do it more diplomatically. Mm. Um, you know, they call it uh, was organizational agility, understanding how to how to be in that room and, and move a little differently than, you know, than than you would in other environments. Let's put it that mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I recognize because I had a couple of experiences where I felt like I got burnt because of it. And, you know, I was strong head early on where I didn't think to change my ways. I was like, mm -hmm. I am who I am. Mm -hmm. And um, when you're in corporate America, you have to you have to know that that's a game in it in of a game. It's like a sport within a sport. And so at certain levels of, of leadership, you have to play the game. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's. I just figured it out. It's like, all right, well, this is the game. Let me understand the rules of engagement and kind of operate accordingly. Until you get until you get a reputation where people actually see you as a trusted advisor, you can't be a bully in the meeting. No just doubt. Remember. What did you mean by getting burnt? Um, I can't remember the specific experience, but um, I believe people in the room kind of turned on me mm. and mm -hmm. so the, what we were working on you know I became the one that would get left out of certain conversations mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go figure out all right I still need to be a part of this this team so let me figure out how to how to get the information so so how do how do you know the difference between that being an a issue of racism where there's assumptions being made because you're black versus let me be honest with myself, I'm showing up a little strong, a little bullheaded. This really don't have nothing to do with that. This has to be this is about me thinking uh, in a more human centered relational way and how I show up. 
Um, I think it was probably a combination of both. You know, folks not used to being in a room with, um, you know, again, I was the only black. And this was in Kentucky, um, mm. in Lexington, Kentucky, where, you know, not only was I of the only black, I was the youngest. And the majority of the folks that were on my team were, you know, older white men. Mm-hmm. And so it would just be little comments they were making meetings about, you know, little jokes they would make racial jokes mm-hmm. they were spotted in and I would catch it. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that a lot of it was, at least from that perspective, it was definitely, I probably showing up as the angry black man as a result of my own issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, you know, that, that culture helped. Yeah. That yeah. That makes sense. So shifting a little bit, you completed your true success evaluations. And before I give any of my thoughts, I'm just curious, as you completed it, uh, what came to mind for you, especially as someone who's who's pretty heavy on the personal and professional development? Anything stand out? Anything surprise you? Uh, no just surprises. No surprises, I think. Um I have done a lot of development, you know, work within myself. And so I tried to honestly, as truth was, as I felt when I was Mm -hmm. answering those questions. Um, Me being who I am, I felt like I was a little too far to the right on a lot of stuff, but that's how I felt. And so I answered. Too far to the right, meaning too high of a rating? Yeah, yeah. You know, but I was being honest about where I was at. Okay, so you feel like, do you feel like your ratings are higher than you feel like you're actually living out right now? No, no, actually, I think I'm living out. So here's the the, the, the odd part about it. I think I'm actually on a higher end. I was just, I felt myself struggling not to, not to be like, I'm all the way over here. Uh-huh. And because I've done so much work in the last five or six years on myself, I felt myself struggling to, to not look like I'm, I'm bragging about where I'm at. Hmm. If that makes sense. It was, it was a struggle for me because I'm like, and nobody's perfect in this place. So. But that's hmm. where I felt. That's how, that's mm-hmm. how I felt when I was taking mm-hmm. the test. Mm-hmm. Because I, I have done a lot of work and, you know, and it shows up in my real life. No doubt. So that said, I'm curious, what was your kind of picking back up on this journey that you went on and I had the pleasure of coaching you through as you evaluated your relationship with alcohol? Um, Can you share with us, you you talked about learning that you needed to do the work of exploring historical experiences and how they were affecting you. But what did that ultimately result in as far as your decision to your decision on how you were going to address alcohol in from that point moving forward and the work you've been doing since then? Um, well, for me, I knew that I'm here for some great things. I've always known that deep down inside um, to do some great work here on, on the planet. The driver for me has always been that since I was a kid, whether it's taking care of the community, creating jobs for the community, um, creating innovative opportunities for the community. Um, for example, East Lamar area, I want to tear it down, bring a distribution center there to create jobs in that area to bring up housing. I've always wanted, you know, I've known, I've known that that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Alcohol was stopping me from getting there. Mm-hmm because I spent so much time with alcohol. And so the decision to get to greatness was pretty simple, at least in concept, lose the, lose the alcohol, you can get there. And so I'm, I've just stayed in that space. Mm-hmm. What was your journey like to come to that realization? Because again, you were successful right? In the sense of comparing to others, which I know you don't compare yourself to others, but when we think about what the world sees as, as success, you were doing well with your business and with your career, yet you had this thing, this, I would say, elephant in the room. So 
what was your journey? Because I know in the beginning, that's not something you could see or allow yourself to see as to how, in your case, and just to be clear for those who are listening or watching, Sean is an example of the technical true definition of alcoholism because people throw that around and and don't really understand I won't do too much of a lesson today but just I I think it's important for folks to understand there's alcohol use there's alcohol misuse there's alcohol abuse and then there's pure alcoholism right and the and the addiction Um, and you you really fit the the diagnosis of addiction which means you don't get choice whereas some of us can say you know what, I'm going to chill out for a minute. There are folks who fall under the true definition of addiction where you're medically, biologically within your realm that you cannot control. You don't have choice of whether or not you can drink a little bit or a lot. And as a result, you got to this answer. So I just want to make sure folks understand that for some people, it is a matter of just saying, I need to chill out. For you, you didn't have that choice because you literally have you suffer from addiction right which is when you get to the point where beyond willpower which we know based on what you've shared if there was a thing as willpower to be able to overcome this you would have done it so I just wanted to note that but as you were coming around the journey because I think that's the the interesting thing here is that you had again so much success but you had this again multiple DUIs and then I, I recall we talked about your inability to at the early earlier stages see any issue because you're like I'm good I'm not like these other people because you have a higher level of success than your everyday or at least portrayed everyday person struggling with alcohol use so what was that journey of struggling with that and how did you tip to the point of of really acknowledging and owning that and recognize regardless of the amount of success you had there were still these limitations that you really had to make that decision. Yeah, my last DUI actually um, was probably the beginning of the awareness that I actually had a problem. <laughs> um, and even then, I still was in, in you know, oh, I can I can manage if I drink light liquor versus dark liquor. You know, mm. I still was in that space even after the after the last DUI, but. You know, that was probably, I think that was like New Year's Eve 2017 or somewhere around there, 2018. I can't remember the exact year. But going through after that process, um, I think I had, you know, and I'll, I'll be transparent, you know, because <laughs> it, 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 it is part of the story and part of the journey. Um, but having to stay in, in jail overnight, you know. Mm-hmm. And and realizing I'm not supposed to be there, mm-hmm. and you know, having a lot of time to reflect on you know what I'm doing in my really in my personal life, you know, it's kind of like you know I think you had a coin <laughs> a term you used to coin public success, private mess or something yes. like that. I can't remember. Yep, just, yeah, that's you, it. You had a lot. <laughs> that's one of like, my gems. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the gems. And so. I just remember, you know, going through that process and was like, man, I'm, I'm really, I'm in my forties tanking my life right now. And, and I need to get, you know, get a grip on that, you know, and then you and I met and, um, you know, I won't go into the details of that, but you and I met and, you know, I think that was probably six months after that, in that, uh, last DUI, but, you know, you were able to experience a few of my, a few of my crazy nights and, to be able to have someone witness it and replay it back to me. Mm-hmm. I think that's because again, I was functional. I was operating. I went to, um, you know, during, after the, after the last DUI, I went to AAA meetings and was like, man, I am nothing like these people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading the room and I'm like, man, they look like they're at the bottom of the barrel. And, you know, a lot of them lost their jobs, families, and you hear the stories. And I'm like, man, I am not like these people. And I was like, I don't know if I'm really an alcoholic. I'm still trying to convince myself mm-hmm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so I go through the process. It was like, man, I need a drink after the AA meeting because it was just that intense. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know what? I'm going to stop going to these AA meetings because they, they, they take me down. And so I, I stopped. 
but I, I, you know, after, you know, meeting you and going through the, you know, having you see me and leaving a situation, I'll go into details, but leaving the next day situation that's there for me to see for myself, you know, because ordinarily I probably wouldn't have paid attention mm-hmm. and be able to see how I was operating. And you did bring up the movie. Um, Pilot. Pilot. Mm-hmm. And to be able to watch that movie and like, oh, that's me. I'm like, I'm Denzel. I'm Denzel. Yeah, you flying planes upside down, <laughs> however. And still functioning, you know, but there's a, there's a dark side to that. And and so to be able to see that, it was like, oh, yeah, this. And I think for the most part, from that point on, I pretty much went cold turkey. It wasn't always easy. Um, but having you there and having you coaching me through some of the, some of the, you know, the childhood experiences that impacted me kind of opened me up to get that release that I was longing for mm-hmm. and then just managing it. And I only think I was thinking of it day to day. I just said, I'm not doing it no more. And, you know, for me, I can't say, speak for anyone else, but for me, when I, when I say I'm not doing something, I just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of mental work that goes into that process. Mm-hmm. For me, it was, you know, getting out in nature. You taught me the tools on nature. Cause I really, I'm a nature guy, but I really hadn't made it an intentional part of my my daily or you know my daily life lifestyle, and so just just, just little tools. Um, you know, when, when I look at that journey to where I am today, that was the beginning of my willpower, uh, or at least building up what I would consider willpower, and knowing that it could be done. That's awesome. I appreciate that. And I'm glad to hear you're using your tools. <laughs> so oh, one last question. In the grass in the back, backyard. No, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. I love it. I love it. Feed in the grass, people. That's how you ground yourself. Um, so, <laughs> so one last question, just on follow-up of where you are now. I'm looking at your, your um, coaching, your, I'm sorry, your assessment results. And this is conversation slash coaching moment because I just can't help myself. I don't know if you noticed this, but your lower three on both assessments are social, family, and romance, which interestingly all have to do with external relational activities. So I'm curious, does that stand out to you? Because it stands out to me. And and just sharing with you my thoughts on something you said earlier of and and I and I know you're still working, right? And and I tell all of my clients this and anyone who will listen, this is a journey, right? And so you've been on this journey for five or six years now, I think. You continue that work. So I know you're you you don't show up to this conversation seeing yourself as arriving, but you mentioned earlier that this journey of with your mom and dropping you off and that you slowly hardened yourself and that you found yourself later realizing and having evidence of how that it was impacting you, perhaps helpful in the business world because it's less of a requirement for you to be relational. Although you, you just shared a story of the times when you did need to be relational, weren't doing so well there and that has obviously showed up in your personal life in relationships where you haven't been able to show up without that wall. So I'm seeing that the the three lowest areas for you, in my mind, tie to this relational component, which requires vulnerability and uh, relationships. So just curious for you, where do you see yourself with that? Does that stand out to you? Does that resonate to you? My observation of these three lower categories and how they tie still to that historical trauma you're working through. Yeah, actually it did. When I took the assessment, it stood out to me, but I, I know why mostly um, a lot of it has been an intentional space that I'm in um, to focus on building my business. The closest relationship that I do have today is with my mom. Like, Mm -hmm. like I'm going to see her when I leave here, but we just, uh, we've opened up so much, um, probably in the last two years, two to three years, but more so, you know, since my father passed away, we've definitely gotten a lot closer. So I have, in t- I have a, you know, I know why those are low. Um, it's definitely been intentional. 
but I have done a lot of work on the romance, you know, the relationship piece in terms of just tapping into being vulnerable, having converse, deeper level conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still working on it, still working on it. And so, but it did stood out, it stood out to me. Mm. How much do you think is, because obviously I hear you and, and as a business owner myself, right, you make choices. And this is why uh, I always in my coaching sessions, as well as in the Joy Society, we talk about we don't believe in balance. We believe in harmony. Right. And the reason for that is because there are times where you do need to knowingly decide you're 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 going to check down a little bit in one or two of your spheres because you're going hard in another one. So I hear you saying you're focusing your business right now. And, and I've done that many times where there's an intentional focus there, which means we already know there's some areas over here that just aren't going to get the attention. So I get, um, but I just wonder um, how much of it is that versus the continued work and what work do you feel like you still need to do? Is it hard for you? You know, kind of where are you with the part that is still quote unquote work in progress? Um. So I would say most of it definitely was intentional because I'm doing some transactions that I've, I've just, you know, it's easy for me to move in that space um, from a relationship standpoint. But, you know, the work that I, I have done, just getting out and dating, realistically. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, without saying too much, but I, you know, I'll, I'll be transparent. Um, I went abstinence for two years Mm -hmm. to tap into what I would call the dog side of me. Cause you know, once I got out of the alcohol space, there's still this side of me that was there that I I needed to do some work on. Mm -hmm. And I'm sharing this on a podcast. So this is pretty interesting. (laughs) I made a choice. Then um, it was a book that I read by what was her name? Her husband, they, I think they're getting a divorce now, but oh, I can't remember her name, but her husband wrote a book um, about the dog in men. I can't remember. Megan Good's ex-husband. Mm-hmm. And so I read his book and he went through that abstinent journey. And there was reasons why he went through that journey. And I had similar reasons. And, you know, being an ex-football player and, and, and doing certain things as an athlete, um, you lose your soul a lot of times in the relationship space uh, based on sex, you know, your sex drive. Mm-hmm. And so I, I decided to tap into that during that two-year period. Mm-hmm. To re- And that's part of the work that I've been doing. And that's where I had to become real vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Probably won't go too deep into that. Yeah. <laughs> I had to go, you know, I had to get to a level of vulnerability, you know, with with women in terms of, you know, the dating and all that to even get to that point. Mm-hmm. And so, as I've, you know, come through that, through that process, is where I realized, from a relationship standpoint, I was not really having deeper level conversations. Um, I was really on the surface with a lot of my conversations for a long time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that stemmed from playing ball and, and being in college and, you know, having access to multiple women. And it just, I never dealt with that. But I think a lot of that stemmed from some some earlier um, experiences. And so that was one of the, you know, in terms of relationship side, that's one of the areas that I really tackled in terms of just doing some work on. Wow. Well, thank you, Sean, so much for your transparency. This is why I love what we do here. And this is why we hand select our guests. I knew you would bring the heat, but I didn't know you were going to go that deep. And I just trust that there will be several listeners, men and women, uh, all of the above, who can benefit from what you shared. As we wrap up, any last thoughts on maybe suggestions you have for folks or big lessons that you've learned that you want to maybe convey to others that maybe didn't directly come out in what you shared today? Um, you know, I think when you look, when you look at the areas of being disruptive, whether it's personal, your career, I think you constantly have to be, be thinking of developing 
getting out of your comfort zone, um, developing yourself in a manner that's comfortable for you so that you can really show up as your show up as yourself, show up as who you really are. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be in that lane. Mm. You know, actually, I think we have a conversation. I don't know. I can't remember when, but I had um, talked about, you know, really tapping into the emotional intelligence side of things as part mm-hmm. of the journey and really understanding being vulnerable to talk about love and how moving from male energy, to, uh, masculine energy to feminine energy. We, we had that conversation, I believe, mm-hmm. and really tapping into really the feminine energy, which which I have suppressed inside of me because of the wall mm-hmm. but that without that love and compassionate and 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 being vulnerable without that energy i knew that i wouldn't be able to get to the next level in my business i knew that for a fact mm-hmm. because in order to get where i'm trying to go i'm going to really need that energy okay wait a minute i gotta just make sure this is huge you're saying that as a man you need to tap into feminine relational energy in order to go to the highest levels of your business. Is that what you just said? That's what I said. Because most most men, we operate, you know, and it's, there's, there's a lot of stats out there, um, but most of us operate pretty much 95% of our energy is masculine. Mm-hmm. We've been taught to suppress the feminine energy in us since we were kids. Mm-hmm. And so we never realized the value of, of love truly loving to get better Mm -hmm. right and so in order to get better i recognize early on this process in order for me to go to where i'm trying to go i'm gonna have to tap into that energy and the more i've been tapping into it it's like you know it's almost like an abyss has opened up Mm. well that's a gem worth closing on although i'm tempted to go further perhaps we'll do a part two at another time Thank you so much, Sean. We appreciate, I, on behalf of all the people who will benefit from you, sh- what you shared today, thank you. And also thank you for allowing me to support you on your journey. It's a great pleasure. The reason why I love coaching so much is to get to see people not only grow along the way, but to catch up with them later and just see that that growth is continuing. So thank you for the opportunity to be part of your journey. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Listen, oh my gosh, I feel like we need about three more hours with Sean. Oh, I'm trying to think of like the the top gems that we should discuss, right? Oh man, listen, uh, you heard Sean mention, and and this is one of my my go-to phrases, if you will. Like, I think this is the epitome of the concept of public success and private mess. Sean's journey of, again, being being at heights that your everyday person doesn't even get to without struggling with drug or alcohol abuse, right? Um, and to be that successful yet be in, in such a terrible space, it, it, it really speaks to what I see behind the scenes, especially with my blue chip coaching, where you know, I get the pleasure of coaching some super, 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 super successful people, career success, right? And and what I've come to know, and, and I've done the primary research to confirm this, in so many instances, folks who have the most success in their career in finance often struggle in, in and I don't know if it's necessarily different than everyone else, but I think that because we see people... Uh, either celebrities or athletes or, you know, leaders or whatnot, when you see that level of public exposure, right, and the alleged success and titles and, and, and coins to go with it, we, I think, just tend to assume that those folks then have it all together. This is why I do the work that I do. This is why we started Joy Society, because, you know, it's not like you just go to school get your job, get your degrees, whatever, get start your business, right? And then you ascend into having at least a solid career and then all other life issues somehow dissipate. All of us know, right, that that doesn't happen. But the interesting reality for folks who get to certain levels of success, I live this, I coach a lot of people who, who live it, is that 
the walls close in on you to where you can't be real with the public because the public puts you on this pedestal. You know, people kind of assume you put yourself there, but it's pretty much the public who assumes because you're doing so well, right? In this area of your life, then you've got it all together and they never will want to hear you talk about that you're struggling anyway because I guess since you have money and job you should be able to figure that out so anyway I'll stop ranting but I think Sean just really is a perfect profile that really describes and and really you know I love working with all people but my sweet spot is specifically working with this blue chip profile just like Sean most of them are men right who don't have that safe space to go to and I'm so thankful I had that opportunity with Sean to help him see himself, but then help him work through all of that. And, you know, I, I shared in the conversation, you know, we worked a lot on helping him understand how historical traumas all the way back to childhood and stuff with his mom, stuff with his divorce were really affecting how he was thinking, um, what he was thinking is success, what he was prioritizing, all of that stuff. And so I think one of the biggies that came out uh, in this was realizing that some of the very same coping mechanisms that help us survive and be successful in one area literally can be the same things that cause us to, to not do so well in other areas. And we, Sean kind of, that came out with him even in his assessment that really that relational stuff, right? The intimacy stuff. And when I say intimacy, I'm meaning emotional relational type intimacy that's where the struggle was and ironically what has made him successful in his business and career is also the same thing that has caused some struggles for him in his personal world so it's so great to see that he's finding his way and of course you know i'm always going to be excited and elated when i hear a client using those tools because honey he was using words he ain't never he ain't know what they was right until we did that work so to to get a chance to connect with him years later and hear that he is really embodying that work and and, and using those tools and that language to help him continue to improve um and elevate is just amazing the other woo whoa holy crap we should talk about this more but uh taboo is you know, Sean mentioned as a male athlete having access to all of these women right back then, how it affects one's soul. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of the work that I do with my blue chip men is, you know, their continued maneuvering of of both the, the conditioning that men experience as little boys, that they're not supposed to have any emotions right? But then as soon as we, they get old enough to be somebody's husband we or somebody's daddy, we want them to have emotions, but not too much emotion because now you're a punk, blah, 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 right? So it's like, whoa, what are we supposed to do? And then even that combined with those who were athletes and just the access and the way women flock to that and then how they even maneuver all of that, like, whew, honey, that's a thing. We might have to do a whole nother podcast just to talk about that stuff. And again, this is why I love working with uh, men. And and as a woman, of course, I know the struggle for us as ladies. But one thing we have that men don't is the opportunity to publicly say, I'm hurting and I'm struggling without being called out for hurting and struggling. And so shout out to all the fellas out there um, who who maybe want to be seen and heard, but are are concerned as to what penalty they'll suffer as a result of doing that. Please hit me up, elizabethjoy.com, if that's you. Man, I feel you. And so again, I hope that this, if you're struggling in that way, maybe this uh, pulled up something for you, some inspiration for you uh, to not only have the courage to lean into having a conversation, but also um, what's possible, right? And so, I, and I love that Sean is, is telling you he hasn't arrived. He's still trying to figure this out. You know, um, and he's maneuvering how much he leans into that relational, emotional, intimacy stuff because he's trying to get this business stuff together. But again, we got to be watchful because, you know, what I know about the blue chip types, y'all know who y'all are. I'm one of you, right? Is that we'll go hard in the paint on our business, on our dreams, on our goals uh, for career and finance so much so that we keep putting on hold the other areas of life. And, and, and a lot of y'all fellas, y'all already married with kids and you keep putting that on hold. And there are children suffering. Um, you're, there are wives suffering. And heck, you're suffering because you deserve to, to enjoy love and relationships and 
intimacy and spiritual health as much as you deserve all of those coins. So, uh, I, 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 again, I invite you, if you specifically, my blue chip fellas, I'm here for you. 100% discreet. Sean is one of the few who was willing. And I typically don't ask my clients to come and share because it's so important that you have that discretion. But holler at me behind the scenes, elizabethjoy.com. As always, follow me, connect with me on social media. Um, perhaps you are maneuvering corporate world, right? And, and maybe we can support you in some consultative or executive coaching type stuff. Hit me up, let me know. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. We'll see you on the next one.